0: He's That's probably enough said right there, huh? <laughs> Should we close in prayer? <laughs> we are, as you may have guessed, going to continue in uh, the book of Jonah. And today we're the last verse of chapter 1, 17, and then chapter 2. And so, as you can imagine, this is when Jonah gets swallowed up. A uh, quick little, little recap of, uh, as we approach this book, we're looking for a few themes. And the key, key verse that uh, we feel like captures the point of this book, the big picture of this book, is coming later in, in Jonah 4.2. It says, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so we see the heart of God. Uh, In this verse, but specifically we see that heart expressed and poured out in God's pursuit of lost people as well as God's pursuit and unending pursuit of his own people. So we're going to keep that in mind uh, as we look through uh, chapter 2 here as well. Also, this is a story about a prophet. Uh, Similar to a lot of the other Old Testament prophets, they are messengers of God. Generally, God gives the messenger a word, and he proclaims the message to the people. Uh, but this one's a little different. The book of Jonah is a story about a prophet of God, and so set back there is all kinds of things that we can take from this story. Whether we see this, we know Jonah was a historical person, uh, Nineveh a historical city, um, and so so many of these things uh, took place in history. And there's a lot of people who think this is uh, partially historical, partially parable. Some of the things they're just describing to really prove a point or to drive home kind of an exaggerated theme. Uh, Regardless, it doesn't change uh, what we're going to take away and what I believe God's heart is for us to take away. So either way, there's an allegory here, and an allegory is a a meaning within either something that truly happened or something that uh, you tell your kids. Um, So all that to say, we're going to look into here. Um, regardless of what camp you sit in, and as a leadership team, we don't really care. Um, but most of the point is God has a message to give to us. And just like he has um, been involved in human history for all time, like a man named Jonah, he's involved in human, human history today with us. And his message is the same. He wants to be made known to us. Uh, there is also this theme in Jonah that's kind of interesting as you read it, that it is this, this comic book book satire feel to it, where everything, comic is in everything is really exaggerated. And, and we know people who live this way. Um, to Jonah, uh, the, the fish is huge, the, the sea is huge, the city is huge. Uh, he says, oh, hurl me into the sea so I might die. says he's extre- exceedingly glad, he's exceedingly angry. So he's just this real flamboyant guy. Um, when the king of Nineveh later on, you know, repents, he says, nobody's eaten anything, not even the animals. So there's this intense feel to this book that, that everything is larger than life. And satire, you know, is, is, is that literary style that basically makes things, um, nobody functions or behaves as you expect them to. So the prophet of God is one of the most disobedient people in this book, Correct. And then you got the, the, the sailors who are pagans who they, they're, they do good things. They extend grace as Ben showed us last week. And the city of Nineveh, they, they do some good things in this story. And so I think the point of this and the point of, of that kind of literary style is to really blow up and exaggerate the absurdities of people. So that we are sitting there and thinking, oh my gosh, I can see the foolishness because it's so obvious and then after we recognize and see some of the foolishness because it's so exaggerated, all of a sudden we start to see, they're describing me. And so in the book of Jonah, you're going to see this a lot, where this story is, is, is a mirror for us to look at and recognize, oh, what a fool, look at those people. Pretty soon we recognize, this, this sounds a lot like the way I live. So let's pray as we dive in. Living God, we thank you for your word that is perfect, that expresses your heart towards us, that gives us examples of people that we can relate to, uh, that we can learn lessons from, whether they do things correctly or do things incorrectly. And I pray that today you would, by your Holy Spirit, as has been prayed so many times uh, already, just move in our lives. And so do your work within Uh, this church, and uh, let us carry that on to the rest of our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, One thing I want to encourage you as we read specifically Old Testament stories, uh, we need to be looking for a couple things, and one of them is look for the character and the heart of God, and so as you read through this story, let's look for what God is like. We should be asking that question. Two, Let's look for God's actions and heart towards man. How does he interact and how does he relate in his pursuit of man, whether lost or his own? Three, look for man's response to God. So we're going to see a lot of different responses in this book and and see what we can discover there. And then lastly, how does all of those first three things affect how we treat each other? Man's response towards fellow man. Uh, re- real quick recap of chapter 1, Ben shared with us last week. Basically, you get a prophet of God named Jonah, who his, his name means dove, son of Amatea, which means innocent. So right away, we hear this Jonah, innocent dove, and then we go on to read the story and we're thinking, whoa, doesn't, doesn't seem to fit this moment. So right away, Jonah rebels against God and he runs. When God asks him to do something, he runs. He gets on the ship uh, and says, let's go the other way to Tarshish. The storm comes, sent by God as a consequence of his action, and we see Jonah sleeping, uh, going down into the the, uh, belly of the ship first, and we see him sleeping. And as Ben pointed out, this isn't a peaceful, uh, content, abiding sleep and trusting in his father. This is an apathetic sleep, like, I don't care anymore. Uh, the storm is threatening not only his life, but it's threatening the life of all of the other sailors. And Jonah is to the point, which often happens when we get in sin. Our sin starts to affect other people. And right now, he's in a bad state where he just, doesn't really, he just doesn't really care. So we find him sleeping. And then, of course, he confesses to the sailors that he's the reason for the storm. They try to show him grace by rowing through it. They can't. And so finally, um, they throw him overboard. And that's where we pick up in our story. Okay, so as Jonah is likely either looking back uh, as soon as he gets in this belly, as the kids said, one wonder if he's trying to get out, but two he's 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 writing poetry within his mind. It says it's a prayer, and so there's it's very likely that Jonah is looking back in this situation as he's um, remembering what the part of despair and darkness is like. And so he has kind of the ability that we do when we look back. We put ourselves in that moment and say it was like this. And then uh, we recognize on this side of it, we we have both uh, time dimensions, whether we're present or afterwards. And so that's kind of the feel of this prayer and this parable. So in 117, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now generally, to be swallowed up is representative of death or hopelessness. In Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in Jeremiah 51, 34, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies and rinsed me out. Hosea 8, 7 through 8, a contemporary of Jonah, says, "...for they have sown the wind, and they will reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations who are useless vessels." And so we can relate to this. If we feel like we've been swallowed up, there is this this ache and this despair and this darkness, and it doesn't seem like there's any way out. And I'm sure Jonah's scenario, after he's been tossed into the ocean and then total darkness, imagine what that's like. And a lot of us have been in seasons of our lives where we feel like we know what it's like to be in the belly of a fish. And so that is the the theme that's being pulled out, that he is in a dark, dark place. So remember this concept of being swallowed. Now interesting though, it says the Lord appointed, or other translation says provided a great fish. Now I refer to this as a terrible grace. Because who's responsible for being in the mess? This is Jonah's disobedience, right? The trials and, and the hardship came because Jonah disobeyed God. And so he's in a bad spot, but as the kids and Dee pointed out, he gets tossed into the sea. And if not for a fish, he drowns. So there's something we wouldn't pick being swallowed up and in the belly of a fish as a good thing. But yet you recognize ultimately this hardship and this really uncomfortable, dark place was in some ways Jonah's salvation. And I know many of us can relate that there's things that are uncomfortable, that are dark, that seem hopeless in the moment. And you look back and you recognize, oh my gosh, that's how God saved me. Another author describes this as a severe mercy or a terrible grace. It's God using, which, which is generally an instrument or a vehicle of death, to bring about life. Can you smell the gospel yet? It's there, right? A terrible grace. God using something that is harmful and uncomfortable and dark and in any other circumstance apart from him is hopeless. But he brings about life in that scenario. Jonah's prayer. So this is uh, after he's, he's there and he's, he's contemplating what's happened. In verse 2 it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. First thing I love is it's not just Jonah prayed to the Lord. All of a sudden, this is Jonah's shining moment in the book. He doesn't have a lot of them, but this is where he gets it right. He says he prays to the Lord, his God. He recognizes and remembers that he has a personal relationship with this God. That he is his and and Jonah belongs to God. And he says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which just means grave usually in the Old Testament, I cried, and you heard my voice. So we get Jonah in distress, in darkness, he turns, he calls out to God. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves billowed around me, they passed over me. All right, so here we got Jonah, who again is responsible for his heartache. Yet, he recognizes that God is in the middle of this, that God in his sovereignty is over this and involved in this and uses his sin and steers it and navigates it to accomplish his purpose. And don't we see this in our life all the time, that we recognize that God says in James, he says he's not the author of our sin, but yet when we sin, he doesn't step back, even though sometimes it feels like we can't see him or feel him, which is similar to Jonah. Jonah. Jonah recognizes in this moment that God is still sovereign over your waves. He recognizes his involvement. And I think for us, when we we get in a place of darkness and hopelessness, to recognize that God hasn't gone anywhere, his power hasn't been stripped even at our own sin, he's still willing and going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. In verse 4, Jonah says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. So in his darkness he's feeling alone, he's feeling forgotten. He's feeling like God doesn't see him. And I'm sure you can hear many of your own prayers in moments of heartache. It says, "Where are you, God?" You feel like you've escaped the sight of God. And that's what he's feeling right here. But there's a redemption in his heart. He says, "Yet I shall look again at your holy temple." So Jonah, in the midst of this terrible place, turns his eyes to God. Five says, "The waters close in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Just reiterating this deep theme that he's going deeper into the darkness. He's going deep underneath the ship when he sleeps. He's going deep into the ocean. He's going deep to the foot of the mountain. He's deep in the belly of a whale. Have you ever felt like you've been spiraling downward? That's what Jonah feels. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayers came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So again, he recognizes and he summarizes what's taking place. Life was fading away, but yet he turns to God. And then he adds this little declaration, this little, this little add-on that says, those who turn to other idols do what? They forsake their hope of steadfast love. So I'm not sure if Jonah is looking back at his life or if he's just observed this. I know in my life I can recognize there's many times in, in uncomfortable scenarios where I just want to feel better that I turn to other saviors. I turn to other things to deliver me from that discomfort. And God calls those things idols and says they will always, always fail us. That when we do that, not only will they fail us, but we're forsaking the very thing that we're looking for. Because in these moments, what are we after? We're after, for, we're after rescue. We want salvation. We want delivered. And scripture is quick to say there's one who does all those things. And so it's good for us to recognize and remember all the other things that we turn to is us forsaking our actual solution and the desire of our heart. Verse 9, he says, Jonah says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So Jonah turns in this darkness and in this poem, turns to worship. And it's interesting, it's very, very familiar to the the pagan sailors who just repented right last week when they tossed jonah overboard and the storm stops it says they feared yahweh they feared the lord greatly and they made vows and sacrifice to god well here we get jonah recognizing maybe they took a cue from his book from earlier but now jonah takes a cue from their book as soon as he fears god he does the same thing and enters into worship And here comes the deliverance, verse 10, it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So you think about your life, and we have some personal application here. We get into storms for generally three reasons. Either our own doing, our own sin and mistakes, cause trials and darkness and hardship. Or the sin of other people done unto us or around us that causes hardship for us. Or just a combination of all sin that we live in a broken and fallen world. And so trials and darkness are going to come. And so the question is, what do we do when we find ourselves in those situations? And again, the, the story is so dramatic and extreme. We're to look at our life and recognize this is the darkest spot this man has ever been in. And so as you look into your life and think, what do I do when I'm in that moment of I feel all but despairing? And as Jonah has done, we're to cry out to God. We're to remember the Lord. We're to turn to Him in prayer. The times where you can't feel Him, and you can't see Him, and you can't sense Him. Many old Christians used to call this dark night of the soul. That's when God is still God, and you turn to Him and ask for the deliverance. God says He delights in that. Now there's a little word of warning here. In this story... Jonah gets vomited out so it seems like pretty quick deliverance in your life is that usually how it works in my life specifically when it's my own sin that has got me there most of the time God's deliverance or rescue from me is not this jack in the box of deliverance where I'm in this dark spot I push a button and boom I'm out to light usually it doesn't happen that way right most of the time there is deep endurance that takes place. Many times you gotta, you gotta push through the consequences of your sin and your action. And we know this as parents, right? If our kids do something, we just don't pop them out and, and give them freebies and pay for uh, speeding tickets and write letters to excuse when they failed tests. Why? Because we want them to learn something. And so specifically, when my belly experience as a result of my own choices, God allows me to push through, and he does this with me, the consequences, the ripple effects of those actions so that I learn, to bring me to a point like Jonah of repentance, to say, Lord God, I was wrong. I'm so sorry. Let's turn and move out of this. Please get me away from this. Those things require trust. Those things require a relationship. Jack in the box, just pop and here I come. That doesn't require much relationship. But God continues to put us in a place where we rely on him. We turn to him not just once but over and over and over. I know many people that I talk to that they are in hardship and heartache and they turn to God. And when they don't get this immediate instant relief, it leaves a really bad taste in their mouth. And so I think we set ourselves up for for some disappointment as if God messed up when we approach it that way. And when we don't recognize, wait for the Lord and deliverance will come. But I don't have to tell you, waiting can be extremely hard. Three days in darkness, having no idea and no feasible reason why you'd ever get out. You felt that. That's tough. Most of the time in my life, not only <clears throat> does it take endurance, but it usually comes the deliverance comes a little bit more everyday situations than just being vomited out. You never thought you'd be delivered by vomit, right? <clears throat> Generally it happens where sometimes sometimes me being vomited out of the belly means I felt terribly alone and somebody showed up at the right time. Where God uses his people. Can you relate to that? or it has the feel of a miracle but many times your deliverance comes from severe heartache and health situations the next thing you know there's a surgery that helps and it relieves the pain and it allows you to go on and pursue life like you once did so whether it be miracles or medicine god is the author and the source of all of this and so he's calling us just like jonah regardless of the way deliverance comes to recognize that he is the giver of all good gifts. And what is our response? Hopefully, like Jonah, it's to thank those people who made your deliverance possible or who played a part. And then it's to give glory to God for being the source of everything good and putting the wisdom in a person's mind to create that or the the kindness and love in a person's heart to, to reach out to you or to show up when you needed it. What do we learn about God when we look at his interactions with Jonah? Reiterate, Jonah four two says, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. As you look at the story of Jonah, quick summary, the way I see this is this is the message of the gospel. This is a man who disobeyed and turned from God, God himself in severe heartache and hardship and despair in that desperation he turns, repents and cries out to God and God delivers Jonah and later we'll see how God's deliverance of Jonah is the deliverance of a ruthless city as well so Jonah's story is very similar to the nation of Israel's story, is it not? read any part of the prophets you get a God's people turning from God, doing things their own way. They get into desperation and hardship and then they beg for relief. And God is gracious and gives them deliverance and gives them relief in a lot of different ways. Whether it's free from slavery or whether it's sending a judge that can take out Philistines, he, gives, he vomits them out of the belly many different ways after they're turning in their repentance and they're remembering God. And then what do you see? You see short-lived repentance. Next thing you know, they're chiseling a golden calf, Right? Once again, Jonah's story is like Israel's story, which is a lot like my story. I get myself in trouble. I turn to God. He delivers me. And I'm so thankful. And it's not very long before pride wells up in my own heart and I start to think, I think I'm going to make my way to Tarshish. This is what I want to do. Can you see it? Here's the beauty. Jesus... As he comes onto the scene, as far as his birth in the Gospels, in Matthew 16:4 he says, as the people are looking for a sign, he says, an evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and departed. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying all throughout the Old Testament, this whole book, these scriptures are speaking about me. And he's saying, I have given you a sign. As you look into Jonah, you ought to see Jesus. You ought to see a glimpse of a vehicle of death, the cross, death and burial of Jesus Christ, turning into a vehicle of life. You've heard me say it before. One of my favorite sayings is, God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Scripture says that God is life in the book of John. And so I believe God is always oriented toward life. He's always facing and saying yes to life. Death grieves him. But in God's pursuit of bringing us to life, he will go through death. Not only in this greatest picture we know in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he also does it in Jonah's life and in my life, where he takes us through things that seem like death to bring us to wholeness of life. Remember in uh, the Old Testament, most of the times being swallowed up is, is symbolic for hopelessness and, and death. But Jesus, like he often does, he turns that on its head. Listen to Isaiah 25. O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you, I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, The fortified city, a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. Now Isaiah is writing very, very soon after the book of Jonah was written. And though Nineveh didn't come to collapse, was this not the exact warning? If something doesn't change, this is going to happen. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. Remember that as we get further on into our story of Jonah. For you have been a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. Sounds pretty familiar. Later on, we'll see Jonah in the shade. He swallows up death forever. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul is unpacking the resurrection and the power of the resurrection when he's explaining that not only is Jesus raised but we will be raised with him when he's describing what our immortal bodies will be like this is how he finishes when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortal then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up by victory o death where is your victory o death where is your sting The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So all throughout our life and all throughout Scripture, death and swallowed up usually go together. And Jesus enters the scene and he says, I will swallow up death. I will bring about victory. And he says, if you want to come with me, if you want to be a part of that turning, where he makes all things new, where it's God's own satire. He takes hopeless situations and he turns them into hope. He says, if you want to be a part of that, you do what Jonah did, and you do what I've offered you to do, and what I beg and long for all of you to do, is when you find yourself in darkness, whether it be your own making or not, turn to me. Ask God to save you and he will doesn't always look like we think but as far as our salvation he gives us a very simple and clear direction you were in darkness because you did things your own way you found yourself in the belly if you ask me to save you I will save you for all time that's how a person is redeemed that's how a person is delivered from the pit if you've already done that recognize where you're at in your season and continue to as you turn to darkness realize the gospel is for all time but is applicable every single day. That we're to turn to God, that we're to cry out to him, that we're to remember to him, that we're to offer worship and sacrifice and vows even when we can't see the light and recognize that God at some point and in some way will take you out of that darkness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the stories that we have recorded about you and how you interact with your people, that we can look in and see and learn more about you in the way that you've always been and how you have always expressed your heart to save and to bring to life. God, thank you that you have written us into your story, that all of us can relate to what it's like to be in darkness or hopelessness, to feel forgotten and alone. And we praise you for the offer to redeem our lives from the pit through the person of Jesus Christ. And God, I thank you so much that you have conquered the ultimate enemy of death and that we just bring glory and praise to Jesus for his sacrifice and for facing his own pit and his own death for the sake of us so that we might ultimately never taste it. It's in your name, amen.